As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, you guys. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Oh, my gosh. So exciting. Yeah. So we've got a real doozy for you today. Don't we always? That's true. This one's especially a doozy. Mm-hmm. Also, we're going to have some, I kind of want to talk about the GoFundMe just right off the top. Okay. And we'll talk about it at the end too, but I just want to make sure that you guys hear it. So, um, well, okay, Tori, first you do the episode like description. Okay. Okay. On September 12th, 2019, 33-year-old Brandon Embry was found nude, unconscious, and barely breathing in a pool of his own blood on the floor of his Asheboro, North Carolina apartment. He had sustained significant trauma and was covered in blood, bruises, and cuts. He was so severely injured that he did not survive. Investigators were quick to conclude that Brandon's cause of death was pneumonia and that he had self-inflicted injuries during a meth-induced fit. They closed his case less than six months after his death, stating that they did not have enough evidence to investigate Brandon's death as a homicide. Erroneous. Exactly, yes. This statement was made despite the obvious signs of a struggle, brutal assault, and a girlfriend with a history of violence, obsession, and pathological lying. Brandon's mother, Sarah, however, is determined to make sure that her son's story is heard and that he gets justice despite what the Ashboro Police Department failed to do. Mm. Okay, so there is a GoFundMe and this is raising money for an independent autopsy and we will link to it. So it's linked below in the show notes. It's Justice for Brandon Embry organized by Sarah Lee and Sarah is his mom, like Tori said. So I just wanted to mention it here because I know sometimes people will turn stuff off like toward the end, you know? Just want to make sure you guys know about it. If there is something that you want to get involved with in the true crime world, this is an excellent cause to get behind. Yes. She needs your support more than anything. So Yes, absolutely. All right. We do have some trigger warnings, death, sexual assault, violence, and descriptions of injuries. And thank you to Madison for writing this case up. Yes. We appreciate you so much. And she actually did message with Brandon's mom on Facebook. And so some of this information did come directly from her. And she, his mom, Sarah, also has a whole Facebook page just dedicated to, to this person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's lots of information on it, uh, pictures and all kinds of stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's a very good resource. Uh, before we get into the case, as always, we just want to remind you that if you want more Killer Queen's content, and there is a lot of extra content over on the Patreon. Ooh, You'll want to go yes. check that out. Yes, and it's all ad free. Yes. And for the low, low price of $10 a month, you can get access to a ton of our doc jams. You can get, which is um, docu series coverage that we do. We also have the mixtape, murder mixtape. We're actually recording 143 today. So you have a million, billion, zillion of those to listen mm-hmm. to as well. Yeah. And there's, there's got to be a, almost 100 at least of the Doc Jams. I mean, we've done 
Don't Fuck With Cats, uh, The Confession Killer. Yes. Lula Rich, we're recording right now. We've done two seasons of The Devil You Know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jinx. Devil in Disguise. Filthy Rich. Featuring oh, that yes. shit bag, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. yeah. So many things. So definitely check it out if you want extra content. And um, yeah. I think that's enough of the business, yeah. Well, oh. also, let's not forget, you want to talk with us oh. live. How could I forget? I know. I know. We have a show. Yeah. We have a show on Spotify Green Room. It's an app that you can download. And you can talk with us one-on-one, seriously. Like, we're going to be covering different cases, but you can request to speak, and you can actually get up there and talk with us if you want to. Yeah. It's like talking to us on the phone, and we get to talk yes. to you. It's so cool. I know. And that is Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Central. Yeah, yeah. All right. Shall we do it? I think we should. Okay. Brandon Wesley Embry was born on September 7th, 1986 in Louisville, Kentucky. His family included his mother, Sarah, stepfather, Reg, sister, Sarah, and brother, Scott. Brandon was raised in a military family, which moved them around the U.S. and even to Italy at one point. At 18 years old, Brandon didn't waste any time after graduating from high school. He enlisted into the United States Navy as a nuclear machine mate, petty officer, second class. Wow. That sounds badass. Mm-hmm. Brandon was a hard worker and a smart young man with many opportunities ahead of him. After Brandon was honorably discharged from the Navy, he did not slow down. He began attending school at Green River College in Auburn, Washington, ultimately earning multiple degrees, including an associate's in bioengineering and chemical pre-engineering. That is like, go getting, man. Yeah, lots of smarts there. He graduated with high honors and went on to attend the University of Washington with hopes of becoming a pharmacist. During his studies, Brandon took a break from school and moved down to Asheboro, North Carolina in August of 2018. At 32 years old, he worked as a certified welder and often traveled to South Carolina and Charlotte for work. After finding a better paying job, he began commuting to Texas for two weeks at a time, then back to Asheboro for two weeks. Soon after, he took a job that was directly out of Charlotte with repairing robotics, which sometimes required him to travel out of town. And like, this might seem like, I don't know, tedious information a little bit, but for him to do that kind of a job, that's going to come into play with what the police think happened to him. Yeah, absolutely. He's got to be on his A game every single day, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can't show up and you can't repair robotics. And be high off your ass. Like, you just can't. No, and I would think that a lot of these jobs, being that they're so technical and kind of serious, you would be drug tested. Well, yeah, definitely. And to go through, you know, school and get high on it, like all these things, it's just, come on. But Mm -hmm. Brandon's mother, Sarah, says that though her son was quiet, he had a warm and caring personality. He was very generous and cared deeply for his family and even once bought his little sister a Viking costume for Halloween with a horned helmet and everything. Sarah called her son a good guy, a young man who was studious, smart, trustworthy, and kind. Brandon was a big guy at six feet tall and about 320 pounds. Some photos show him with a long, full beard. Sarah says that he had this while he lived in the Seattle, Washington area, and there's apparently a lot of Viking-inspired culture in that area, and Brandon completely embraced it. While growing up, he had a pretty sophisticated taste in music. Sarah remembers the day that Brandon brought her into his daycare because he wanted her to hear a song he really liked, and it was Yesterday by the Beatles. Oh my goodness. Like so sweet. Yeah. I know when I was in daycare, I was like, Dad, have you heard Bob Bob Black? Seriously. Like, (laughs) yeah. It's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I learned a new bop today. It's called a row, row, row your boat. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And she said, like, she was surprised that he was so young, but he appreciated a song like that, you know? Because again, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like nursery rhymes all day long. Yeah. When you're that little. In fifth grade, he often listened to Billy Joel's greatest hits, and he loved the song Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. And that was a good song. It was a good song. I actually really like Three Doors Down. I do too. So let's talk about the events leading up to Brandon's death. Brandon's last travel trip for work took him to Detroit. Sarah picked him up from the airport in Greensboro on Thursday, September 5th, 2019, upon his return. 
The next day, Friday, Brandon came over to Sarah's house to watch her dogs. She recalls how good he was with her dogs, laughing and smiling as they played on the floor. And when Sarah and her husband came home the next evening, Saturday, around 8 or 9 p.m., Brandon had just left. Sarah said that she was a little bit disappointed that she didn't get to see him, but probably figured that he wanted to go home and start celebrating for his 33rd birthday, which was that day. She had spoken to him briefly on the phone while they were driving and told him happy birthday. Earlier at 7.36 p.m., Brandon had texted his stepfather and told him that he'd had plans to meet a girl that night. It was his birthday, Saturday, November 7th, but that she'd canceled on him. On Monday, September 9th, Brandon texted his mother and told her her that he had a bad headache, which was terrible timing because he had a lot of stuff that he needed to take care of. The next morning, Tuesday the 10th, Brandon texted Sarah very early. She called her son back later that day, but he didn't answer, which was not exactly out of the ordinary. The following day, Wednesday the 11th, Sarah called Brandon again, but he still didn't answer. She attempted to check his phone location on her phone, which normally worked, but the screen just continued to spin and it never loaded. She made the decision to drive to his apartment the next morning to check on him. Sarah brought her daughter with her and they arrived at Brandon's apartment around 2.45 p.m. on Thursday the 12th. She hoped that he was just sleeping late after having spent the night before out celebrating his birthday, but nobody answered the door and it was locked. The back door was also locked. Sarah noticed that one of the back windows into Brandon's apartment was broken. She started to call maintenance for a key, but then decided to call 911 instead. First responders arrived at 3 p.m. to do a welfare check on Brandon. After forcing entry into Brandon's apartment while Sarah and her daughter waited outside, responders found Brandon nude on the floor of his bedroom. He was unconscious and appeared to have been beaten very badly. His head was lying in a pool of blood and there was water that had overflowed from the bathroom and it was everywhere. He was gasping for air and EMS reportedly administered Narcan, a drug that only works if a person's respiratory drive is depressed secondary to opioid use. So that would include heroin, fentanyl, morphine, et cetera. Yeah. Why would they just give him Narcan? I don't know why they would. If Why would they just quickly jump to that conclusion? Yeah. It was like immediately they decided. That that's what he needed. Yeah. I have no idea. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if, I guess if, it, if it's not going to hurt you, if yeah. that's not it, then I don't know. And they can't respond. Maybe you, I've never heard of it being like, we found somebody who's unresponsive. So we all, you know, we just, we give those people Narcan because they can't tell us. Yeah. Is it just like protocol? Right. Just like, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Uh-uh. If you've been a listener for a while, you have probably heard us sing Best Fiends praises. But if you're new, let us tell you about it. Best Fiends has it all. An amazing storyline, collectible fiends, and tons of fun puzzles. This is literally my kind of game. I love puzzle games. I love like the matching games. They are so fun. And honestly, this is possibly the best puzzle game out there. And you don't even need Wi-Fi to play it. So like if there was something you needed to get you on board, boom. Mm -hmm. No matter where you go, you can get your puzzle on in offline mode. And we all know the holiday season can be a little stressful. But with Best Fiends, you can unplug, unwind, and relax for however long you want. And Best Fiends has literally thousands of levels with more added all the time. So there's always a fresh challenge waiting for me when I need a little mental pick-me-up. So what you can do is you can download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. There was no change after administration and paramedics quickly transported Brandon to the nearby Randolph Hospital in Asheboro. As Sarah sat in the waiting room, Waiting for an update on her son, detective asked her questions about Brandon and relayed information to the doctors. Some of the information included, or according to Sarah, wasn't even accurate. Eventually, one of the emergency room doctors came out to talk to Sarah. He told her that Brandon was very critically injured and very sick, and the prognosis was not good. They had transferred him out to Moses Cone Hospital in Greensboro for a higher level of care. The staff at the hospital did everything that they possibly could to help Brandon, but unfortunately, his injuries were too severe and his body couldn't fight any longer. Brandon Embry died on Friday, September 13th at 8.57 p.m. So obviously, Brandon's family is devastated at this point, and they have a million bajillion questions. On September 16th, an autopsy was performed 
two officers, Detective Lori Johnson and Officer Macon, were present. Hmm. You guys are going to want to remember Detective Lori Johnson, if it's even fair to call her that. Yeah. Yeah. If that's even her real name. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You'll want to go ahead and just get your windows ready to be open. Yes. And say goodbye to all of your stuff. Yeah. Write Detective Lori Johnson on all of it. Yeah. (laughs) On Wednesday the 18th, Sarah finally made her way to Brandon's apartment. She hadn't been inside yet and was horrified when she walked in. The apartment was absolutely destroyed. And again, if you guys go to the Facebook page that Sarah has set up, which again, we will link to, you'll see the pictures. And like, this is not how Brandon normally kept his home. Mm -mm. So if you see it, even if you don't know this person, you can see that there has been a struggle and something awful happened there. Mm-hmm. That's just immediately just apparent. Yeah. yeah. It's just so crazy. Sarah's husband and his brother had been working on cleaning the place up once police released it to them. This is very much like Christian Andriacchio. Immediately, mm-hmm. they were just like, well, nothing to see here. You guys can have it back. Do yeah. whatever you're going to do with it. Even though it should have been an active crime scene. Yes, 100%. She said that though her husband wanted to go in first to clean the apartment up, Sarah had a feeling that she needed to be there. And I'm sure that had to have been so difficult, but she was just like, there's, you know, I need to be there. And she remembered that the first thing she saw when she walked in was a large pool of dried blood on the floor. And she described it as thick, quote, like globular circles of blood that made up one big circle. Sarah described what she saw as she continued into Brandon's bedroom. Next, I see the blood on the wall and the letter markings of the crime scene investigators. I notice how the blood travels in a downward pattern on the wall. I notice other blood, blood that is not marked. Blood on the adjacent wall, blood-covered closet door, blood on the window ledge and underneath the window ledge. Blood on the mini blinds, blood on the mattress, blood all around the perimeter of the mattress and down the side of the mattress. Mm -mm. Does that say attacked in bed? Yeah, to me, yeah, it does. Blood on the third wall, blood-soaked pillows, and he's found on the floor. Mm -hmm. It's horrific. Some of the blood on the wall had hair in it and matter. And what she's describing in that downward pattern is high-velocity blood spatter. Mm -hmm. That's the off-cast, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Somebody bringing a weapon down and hitting him in the head or wherever with it, I believe in the head, And then bringing it back up to hit again. And now that's flinging on the wall behind you. Absolutely. Okay. And we're supposed to believe that he did this to himself? He did this to himself. Mm -hmm. You know what? Get all your shit out the window now. I can't. I just... (laughs) And it gets worse. It gets worse! Mm -hmm. When Sarah walked into the attached bathroom, she said that she realized that someone did this to her son. There was blood on the walls in the bathroom, some that appeared to have mixed with water, and some that looked like there were drips of a liquid running through. There was a round area of blood on the broken mirror, broken mirror, with strands of hair caught in the glass. She likened it to when someone sprays a cleanser on something and the liquid runs down and leaves lines. Her husband and brother-in-law began examining the blood with Sarah. Her husband noticed what appeared to be blood spatter that reached almost up to the ceiling. Again, that's cast off. Mm -hmm. Like, I've watched enough stuff to know that that's what that is. Yeah. So Sarah started taking her own photos. After seeing all of the blood on Brandon's mattress, she asked her husband if the police had taken the bed linens for evidence. Her husband told her no, that they'd been soaked in water and he'd taken them to the dumpster. After retrieving the linen, Sarah spread them out and saw large orange-tinted areas. Upon further inspection, they also found blood inside of the large water heater closet that was in Brandon's bedroom. Sarah immediately called police so the detectives could return to see her findings because at this point, they've missed all of it. Well, did they investigate? (laughs) No. They walked in and they were like, this looks, I mean, is this not what a normal apartment looks like? Yeah, I mean, clearly pneumonia. Clearly pneumonia, yes. Yeah. I mean, unless we're talking about a cabin fever type of illness. Right. How do you get something other than he was brutally attacked by someone Mm -hmm. and murdered? Now, here's the question that I have. The window being broken, was Mm -hmm. that like, just like the latch was broken. I don't know that we know this information. Or was it like somebody broke in through the window? 
Yeah, I don't know about that. Like, I'm not shouldn't sure exactly that be what... suspicious though? Right. Yeah. Either way, shouldn't it be suspicious? Yeah. Because everything else is locked. So did somebody get in through this window? Well, absolutely. And like he's in an apartment. If he noticed mm-hmm. that the apartment or the window was broken, he there would be like a maintenance request for it at the very least. Right. And this is a first floor apartment. So it right. would make sense that somebody could try to get in through a window. Absolutely. If it had been broken before, you know what I mean? Like if it had been broken yeah. and he was like, oh, okay, he probably would have been like, hey guys, my apartment window is broken. Yeah. Detective Suddeth arrived at Brandon's first floor apartment and told the family that his partner, Detective Johnson, would be there soon. Don't bother, leave her home. But yeah, exactly. She had taken the trip to Raleigh to oversee the autopsy. And as they showed Detective Suddeth their concerns about the blood and what they'd found, Detective Johnson arrived on the scene. She told Sarah and her husband that she determined that Brandon was high on methamphetamines and beat himself up, destroying his apartment in the process. Mm-hmm. How? Mm-hmm. If you were there, you you didn't stay to see the completed autopsy because that takes a while. Mm-hmm. But also, like, this may be a stupid question at this point of, like, how long we've been doing this, but we don't need the detective to be at the autopsy because doesn't that just lead the coroner? Basically. I mean, she, I would think so. I don't think she needed to be there. Yeah, like, shouldn't the medical examiner be doing the autopsy on their own? Yeah. I mean, you're going to get the results, so let them do their job and yeah. you continue investigating. Exactly. Sarah was quick to defend her son, telling the detective that Brandon used drugs and that he was drug tested through his job and that meth just didn't fit in with Brandon's lifestyle or goals. But again, he can't do mm -mm. the job that he does if he's on meth. He just can't. No. And And not keep his job. Absolutely. Anybody that's on meth cannot keep a job if you're using it all the time. Yeah. I mean, I would think. And like, his family knows him well. They know mm-hmm. him. And I don't think that if he was so bad on meth that he would have been able to keep that from his family. And if it was so bad to the point that he beat himself up and killed himself by beating himself up by meth, did we find any drugs in the apartment? No. Right. How like, are we getting this? Exactly. And I don't know really anything about meth. I know that it can like make your, it can mess your teeth up. Yes. But, and Brandon didn't have that. I honestly, I don't know how it's used. Like, I don't know how you use, do you? I think you can smoke it and I think you can inject it. Okay. So then we'd be possibly looking for track marks, which he doesn't have. Right. Right. You would think that if he was a, if he was a regular drug user, which I do not believe and nobody else does except for Detective Johnson, Mm -hmm. that he would have at least some paraphernalia, like a pipe or something in his house. Yeah. And have we heard of anybody ever? And again, I'm not saying this is not at all possible. I'm sure somebody's going to DM us and be like, well, actually, but like, have we ever heard a story of anybody who was on meth and beat the shit out of themselves to the point that there is hair and matter on the wall in blood, mm-hmm. you know? And then what appears to be up like that. attempted cleanup of the scene. Because yes. what it seems like happened was by, if I'm getting this correctly, he's nude. Mm-hmm. The bathtub is overflowing. So he's on his way to take a bath, mm-hmm. right? Or somebody just turned it on. What somebody turned it on and tried to, yeah, maybe. But there's so much blood on the bed. If that checks out, Mm -hmm. he would have had to start beating himself up while he was laying in bed. Yes. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense. And there had to have been a weapon, right? Right. I don't think you can do all of that with your fist. What did his fist look like? Right. And like, if there's a weapon, where is it? We don't don't see the weapon. So somebody He used on himself or somebody used on him. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It just doesn't, it just does not make any sense. No. But of course, this does not deter Detective Johnson. Mm -hmm. She said that Brandon's apartment was very cold when they found him, and that was typical of meth users. Okay. There are plenty of people who keep their apartments cold or houses cold. Absolutely. If Andrew had his way, we would have it at no higher than 65 ever. Goodness gracious. Yeah, except in the summer because then it would run too much and that would cost too much money. But in the winter, <laughs> no higher than 65. Well, yeah. I mean, that's just, that's personal preference. That doesn't, mm-hmm. that's not like the smoking gun where it's like, oh, see, and he's, and he does meth. Right. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. And Sarah was like, 
No, my son has a hormone condition. It makes him always hot. So he keeps his AC at like 62 degrees. And Detective Johnson said that he even said that meth users often had strange behavior and that Brandon likely started cleaning up the mess after making it. But he's uh, totally unresponsive. If the story checks out, he has beaten himself so badly that he is incapacitated. Mm-hmm. But yet he was able to start cleaning up his own mess. Like, no. He beat himself to death. He died from these wounds. He beat himself to death. Mm-hmm. How, what, when has that ever happened? What doesn't make any sense to me is how detectives and law enforcement sometimes will come to this ridiculous explanation of what happened, right? They're like, oh, well, clearly mm-hmm. he's Ellen got- Greenberg. Yes. She stabbed herself 20 times. Yes. I mean, you brought up Christian Andriacchio. Like, mm-hmm. all of these things, it's like, that does not make any kind of sense. Mm-hmm. But if they are questioning or interrogating somebody, they are very quick to shut down kind of ridiculous explanation. Mm-hmm. Because guess why? Because it's fucking ridiculous. That's why. Exactly. Like, do you hear yourself? How How is this even possible? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Ugh. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Flex Company, and we are so grateful for them. Hey, girl, thanks. But sometimes one thing we're not grateful for, we're just going to be honest, is periods. Periods can be so annoying, and period care is a hassle. But if you want a period product that looks out for your body, your lifestyle, and the planet, well, then you've got to try Flex. Flex is innovating period care with products that are body safe, made for comfort, and made to keep you moving. There's the Flex Disc, which is a one-time-use menstrual disc that fits perfectly inside your body. One Flex Disc can be worn for up to 12 hours and holds as much flow as three super tampons. It's not a cup, and it's better than a tampon. It is totally unlike any other period product you've seen before. With helpful videos, in-depth diagrams, GIFs, and Flexperts available to walk you through the entire process, you will never go back to products from the past once you've tried Flex. And we can thank Flex for helping bring this episode to you for free. So say goodbye to cramps, put sex back on the table, and lend Mother Nature a hand. Go to flexfits.com slash queens and use code queens for 20% off Flex Disc Starter Kits or 10% off your first Flex Cup plus free U.S. shipping. Did you guys hear how much good stuff I just said? I think they did. It's incredible. You got to use code Queens at flex, F L E X, fits, F I T S dot com slash Queens. Simply Safe is back and we love them for so many reasons. One of which is that with their sponsorship, this podcast can be brought to you for free. But let's get into why Simply Safe is a phenomenal security system. If you have ever wanted to make your home feel safer, there is no better time than now. This week, our friends at Simply Safe are giving KQ listeners early access to all their holiday deals, 40% off their award-winning home security. We love Simply Safe because it's everything you need to make your home safe. Indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need it. Simply Safe was even named the best home security system of 2021 by U.S. News and World Report. You can easily customize a system for your home online in minutes and even get free custom recommendations from Simply Safe. And these are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. There are no long term contracts or commitments. And it's a really easy way to start feeling a bit more peace of mind without having to completely booby trap your home Kevin McAllister style. Exactly. So take advantage of Simply Safe's holiday deals and get 40% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com slash killer queens. Again, that's simply safe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash killer queens for 40% off your entire system. Detective Seth said, or called um, CSI back to the scene and after they assessed the apartment, determined as though an attempted cleanup had taken place. And he requested a search warrant from a judge on Brandon's apartment and belongings. Written in the warrant, Detective Seth wrote, several medical professionals stated to, the de- to this detective that these wounds could not be self-inflicted. Despite the medical staff's opinions and the obvious signs of trauma and a struggle in the apartment, the autopsy results came in listing Brandon's cause of death as pneumonia. 
the 2000 panel tox screen that was ordered would take at least two months before results would be in. Uh, could, okay. Because we don't know how long he laid there. Sarah couldn't get a hold of him for a couple days, right? Mm-hmm. He was still alive, though, when they got there. He so that makes alive. me, yeah. Yeah. So could he have developed pneumonia secondary to all of these wounds? And because, like, if you're not taking deep, good breaths in and clearing the bacteria out of your lungs, like, mm-hmm. even like when I worked in plastic surgery, we would tell patients who had breast augmentation because your chest is really tight. And we would have to explain to them, you have to make yourself take a deep breath in after surgery. Because a lot of people will try to do that, like, you know, a little bit more of a shallow breath because it hurts. And we're like, no, you have to do that because patients have developed pneumonia after surgery from not breathing properly, right? Mm -hmm. Is it possible that he developed pneumonia secondary to these injuries because he was so incapacitated, incapacitated that he's not breathing properly? Well, yeah, and he's nude Maybe. and lying in a pool of his own blood in 62 In 62 degree, degree mm-hmm. yeah. So, but that still doesn't change the fact that he could not have inflicted his own wounds. Mm-mm. Not even a little bit, no. It just... Because, like we said, I mean, if he had done that, he would. there would be a weapon that he used on himself somewhere because mm-hmm. how do you get rid of it and then put yourself back at the scene of the crime incapacitated on the ground? And yeah, it just does not, there, there's no sign of any kind of meth use at all. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So here is a condensed list of some of the injuries that were listed on the autopsy. Blunt force injuries to the torso, including significant bruising and abrasions to the abdomen and chest, along with left lung bruising. He had an area of abrasion from his left shoulder to his left neck that measured 7.5 to 1.5 inches. There were two bruises noted on his penis, a small one on the tip and a longer one on the shaft. More abrasions were found on his lower left lower neck and chin, as well as on his face. There were multiple lacerations across his face, on his nose, and on his eyelid. There was dried blood coming from his nose and significant swelling and bruising to his face and around both eyes. His frenulum was torn along with bruising and lacerations to his lips. There was bruising and abrasions found on the right arm and on both hands. There was a large bruise that almost completely covered the back of his right hand. He had several lacerations on his palms and wrists that appeared to be jagged. What does that say to you, Torella? Defense wounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To I'm me, just like, yeah. That, well, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I'm like, just hearing all of this and you're like, he did this to himself? Yeah, and we're not done yet. <gasps> a bruise measuring 11 and a fourth by 8 inches from his right lower leg to right knee with a similar bruise found on his left lower leg and knee. Multiple abrasions, cuts, and bruises were found on both of his feet. There was a five-inch incised wound on his left buttocks, along with severe bruising to his lower back and just above his gluteal cleft, which is butt crack, but the technical term is gluteal cleft. That's fine. As it is, it's much nicer than butt crack, but we all got him. I mean, we all got him. Yep as well as bruising to his inner thighs. And remember, Detective Johnson claimed that during a meth-induced fit, Brandon inflicted all of these injuries to himself, all by his very self, all on his own. And an incised wound is a cut. An incision is a cut. Mm -hmm. So he took something and cut his own butt cheek? There is no way. There's no way. Just, yeah. And to me, and I could be wrong, I mean, you know, I haven't been an investigator for many, many years, so I don't think I can claim that anymore. I'm just kidding. I've never been an investigator, but I'm no expert on this at all. But there were a lot of wounds on his face and even some on his genitals. And to me, that sounds like a personal attack on somebody. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. And it, it seems like to me that like, I don't know. I'm thinking, I don't know what the weapon is, but I'm feeling like, you know, if somebody took a baseball bat to somebody, mm-hmm. his entire body is injured, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. He's got bruises on his entire body. So if, you, if you've if you got something like a baseball bat or something and you're hitting Golf somebody club, I don't it, know, yeah. Yeah, and this person, you know, is trying to get away. They're holding their hands up. At some point, they're just going to kind of get in the fetal position, you know, probably, mm-hmm. just to try to protect what they can. But like, during that struggle and during that fight, multiple areas of your body are getting hit because it's a large weapon. So 
that would, to me, make sense why we've got bruises on his backside, bruises on his front side, even to his penis, even to his legs. Like, and y'all, if you look at these pictures, he was severely, severely beaten. Mm-hmm. He did not do this to himself. No. You're not going to take something and beat yourself in the face like that. No. His whole face was swollen and like unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just awful. All right. I guess we have to talk about Cassandra. Mm-hmm. So on September 18th, almost a week after Brandon died, a female messaged Brandon's sister on Facebook, telling her that she was Brandon's girlfriend. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of Michelle Carter a little bit. Oh, just because you know that. she like started talking to the family and being like, oh, you know, yeah, I don't know, it makes sense, and I do think that. Well, I don't want to give it. Go ahead. Okay. Her name was Cassandra, and she was able to give plenty of information about him. So Sarah and her daughter felt confident that she did, in fact, know Brandon. She asked about retrieving clothes of hers that were in Brandon's apartment. Sarah thought it was odd that this girl had contacted them on the day that they were cleaning out her son's apartment that she didn't reach out to them and ask about her belongings beforehand. Yeah, it seems like she knew that they were there. And she was like, oh, and while you're there, can you grab my clothes? Right, yeah. Oh, I need to ask you while you're already there. Exactly. And that's exactly what she was thinking. Like, is does she know we're here? Like, did she see us? Sarah decided to reach out to Cassandra on Facebook on the 19th and waited for her to respond. She contacted detectives to ask if they needed to question Cassandra or like get her contact information. And they were like, thank you, but no, we do not. Appreciate it, but no. Yeah. More than a week after Sarah messaged her, Cassandra responded on the 27th at 2 a.m. Cassandra told Sarah that she and Brandon had started talking in January of 2019, and in February of 2019, Brandon had told his sister that he was dating a girl, but didn't think it would work out because she was going back to Russia, and he was referring to Cassandra. Sarah and Cassandra messaged each other back daily, and Sarah could tell that Cassandra was not always truthful. As Sarah put it, she was able to learn more about, quote, her version of her relationship with Brandon. So that tells you anything. Mm -hmm. Cassandra said that she was from Russia and going back soon and that her family was in prison. She said that she worked as a nurse, but also that she was a felon, possibly for rape and murder. I think the only thing that you can surmise from that was that she's possibly from Russia. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're... I don't know, but you have to pass a background check to be a nurse. So I don't think you're going to be a felon, possibly for rape and murder, and then get a job as a fucking registered nurse. Yeah, that's ridiculous. She said that she also worked in a domestic violence shelter and then said she worked as a nurse for the Department of Corrections. I don't think so. No. As a felon who had been charged with rape and murder. No. Right. And Sarah was like, I question if she was even employed at all. Anywhere. Mm -hmm. With anybody. During another conversation, Cassandra told Sarah that she'd been actively calling the police to get information about Brandon. She said that she went to check on him at his apartment and a neighbor told her that he'd passed away. And Cassandra said that she had started screaming and yelling at the neighbor and telling them they'd better not be lying to her. She said she'd almost passed out while walking with her cane, which she reportedly used for her diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. When Sarah spoke with the same neighbor, the neighbor said that Cassandra asked what happened, said, okay, thank you, and shook her hand. And she did not have a cane. This is incredibly different than what she's relaying. And and why is the, what reason does the neighbor have to lie? Exactly. And I mean, she's getting caught in these kind of quote unquote little lies anyway. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Saying what she does for a living all of these things, and then also saying, well, I had a cane because obviously I'm very sick with multiple sclerosis, which is not true. Right. (laughs) I would reckon. Yeah. And then, like, so she, she asks what happens. They're like, you know, he's passed away. And she's like, okay, thanks. And then she shakes her hand, gets into her car, and makes a phone call. Mm -hmm. No screaming, no crying, no passing. Like, no. On September 28th, Cassandra asked Sarah if Brandon had been found in bed or on the ground. And Sarah was stunned. She was like, how does she know that he was in his bedroom? I mean, it could have been anywhere in the apartment, right? 
Mm-hmm. You you would think she'd ask where where was he found? Like not just like oh well he's obviously in his bedroom. So was he on the ground or on the on the bed? I can't yeah don't remember which one. Like mm-hmm. and this information hadn't been released either. Finally, after messaging for several weeks, Sarah and Cassandra decided to meet in person. Can you imagine? Like, Sarah has to be the strongest person oh, in yeah, the entire absolutely. world. To continue talking to this person, knowing that she's lying, feeling like she has something to do with it, but you're trying to be nice to her to get the information that you need. Like, Sounds the worst and so hard to do. Yeah. On October 10th, 2019, they met at a donut shop in Ashboro. Sarah noticed immediately that Cassandra was trembling. Initially, Sarah led the conversation talking about Brandon and how much she missed him. The two then decided to continue their conversation at a nearby Mexican restaurant. Cassandra said that she'd met Brandon on the dating app Hinge. She also said that she'd found her husband in bed with another woman. And she said that she could have killed him when this happened. She also said that Brandon was on the phone with her when she caught her husband cheating which does not make sense because if you're upset that your husband was cheating, but you met Brandon on a dating app and now you're talking to him, but you're still with your husband and this is before he was cheating on you. What? I don't don't have any words for that. She just says shit and doesn't think about, because none of it's true. Mm -hmm. It's easy to remember the truth because it's what happened. It's hard to remember the lie you told because it never happened. Absolutely. It's just, you can't remember what you said. Mm-hmm. During later messages, Cassandra told Sarah that she was born in Russia, but her parents later moved them to Maine. She said that her father was in prison. Now, before it was her parents were in prison, now her father. Mm-hmm. Cassandra bragged that she was a fifth-degree black belt in jiu-jitsu and a third-degree black belt in Muay Thai. She also told stories about her sister dying in a car crash, which gave her PTSD. She said that she had a baby fifteen. She had a baby at fifteen that died at one year old after it got wrapped in a blanket. At this point, these lies are getting, they're they're ridiculous, but they're also incredibly insensitive and very inappropriate. Yes. yes. <laughs> she also told Sarah that she had been pregnant with Brandon's baby and sent her ultrasound photos. I can't with Cassandra. Get the fuck no. out of here. Cassandra said that she had 13 friends that had died and a friend in Ashboro that was dying at that very time. There were endless stories that Cassandra told that contradicted earlier stories. Mm-mm-mm. Like, this is a lot of stuff to happen to one person, and I'm not saying that these things can't all happen to one person, but they didn't happen to Cassandra. Well, yeah. I mean, like you said, she tells stories, and then she forgets what she told because they were lies. So then she tells something else that completely contradicts what she had already said. So it's she's she's making it very easy to get caught in lies. Yes. Yeah, totally. And just... Assuming that people, why does she think everybody's just going to believe everything that she says? Yeah, I know. So Sarah launches her own investigation. Um, She had very little help from police and she wanted to figure out what happened to her son. She needed to know what happened between Tuesday when she received the last text from Brandon and Thursday when she found her son. Since police had not requested Brandon's bank statement, she did. It took several weeks for the most recent statement to arrive. But when it did, it had two transactions during the missing time period. One charge for $17.28 at Jade Express. Oh, Jade Express. Jade Express in Ashboro's Randolph Mall on Wednesday, the 11th. The second charge was the same day for $28.28 at, or $20.28 at Adam and Eve, which is an adult store in Greensboro. Sarah called the bank to confirm the dates, but they wouldn't give her any information. She knew that the meal at Jade Express was likely for him and another person, given the price and what he normally ate. Then they visited the Adam and Eve location in Greensboro, and the manager pulled the receipt and confirmed that Brandon had signed for it on the 11th at 1138. She couldn't give any further information, but agreed to have it ready for the police, but investigators never came to speak to the store. I'm guessing they didn't have surveillance video. Like, I wish we could see if he came Mm -hmm. in with her. Yeah, with Cassandra. Yeah, which he probably did, or... Did she just sign his name? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. On November 14th, Sarah met with Cassandra again at the mall in Ashboro, and Sarah recalled that her behavior was extremely odd, that she was fake crying and suddenly bursted out, I'm going to jail with no reason or explanation. Cassandra allowed her to see the last text messages with Brandon, and there were multiple unanswered texts from Cassandra to Brandon. 
On Thursday, the day he was found, she says, and I'm going to try really hard here, guys. I mean, this is, are yous in jail in a hospital? Gave up on me's who fucking knows. What She puts an S at the end of every fucking word. It's kind of like, um, oh my God, what is his name? Where he's yep. like, Baguan. Baguan, yes. 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 That's what I yes. was thinking. Like, we're going to go to sleep. <laughs> yes. Yes. She said, we's have a concert tomorrow if you're going. Friday, the day that Brandon died, what, or WTF, this is really frustrating. Are you trying to get on my nerves? I'm about to call the cops and do a wellness check on yous. <laughs> <laughs> Another on Saturday said, now I'm getting pissed and I have no idea where you are if your current condition is life-altering or if you're dead. Great way to make me fucking worry. If you think he could be hurt, I don't know. That's one way to put it. Like, hey, I'm getting really worried about you. Will you please just let me know that you're okay? Instead, she's like, I don't even know if you're dead. Way to make me fucking worry, asshole. Like, Exactly. And the... What's the word? I can't think of the word. The grammar in this one is completely different from the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. What's that about? Do you feel overwhelmed when it comes to handling personal finances? You are not the only one. Um, I'm raising my hand and you cannot see it. Yeah, I mean, same. Yeah. Credit Karma is here to help you make those big calls with more confidence. Whether you're refinancing credit card debt or paying for an upcoming expense, Credit Karma uses your credit data to show you fresh personal loan offers that are personalized to you. On Credit Karma, you can check out multiple loan offers side by side. Members who compare loan offers on Credit Karma save an average of 30% on interest rates. It's completely free, it's easy to sign up, and you can get a Credit Karma account with no effect on your credit score, making it simple to search for the right personal loan for you. Credit Karma will even show you your approval odds so you can choose offers that you're more likely to get approved for and apply with more confidence. And once you have a loan, Credit Karma can help you track your progress as you pay off your debt and even let you know if you can refinance and save. Credit Karma, apply with more confidence today. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see personalized offers with your approval odds right now. Go to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to find the loan for you. Again, that's Credit Karma, credit K-A-R-M-A dot com slash loan offers. Sarah took a photo of the text and sent it to Detective Sedith. And when she and Cassandra left the mall to walk to their cars, Sarah hoped Cassandra would notice that she was driving Brandon's truck. She wanted to see her reaction. And Cassandra asked if she could look inside, saying that it brought back memories. Sarah thought that as she looked inside, she appeared to be scanning it, kind of surveying it. Sarah said that while she was dealing with Brandon's belongings, she noticed that his truck was unlocked. And according to her, Brandon was very adamant about making sure his car door was always locked. Now, if somebody said, hey, Torella's car is unlocked, I would say big fucking whoop because she never locks that shit. But Brandon always locked his car. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when she looked inside, she saw several spots of blood as well as signs of a cleanup, particularly behind the driver's seat. There were two lift and peel seals inside of the truck. The same seals were found inside on the bottles of Walmart brand bleach found inside of Brandon's apartment. The following day, Cassandra was contacted by police to come in for questioning. She immediately called Sarah over Facebook audio telling her how worried she was that what about what the police knew that she didn't and she wasn't sure if she could trust the police. She spoke about sleeping pills and said that maybe Brandon overdosed intentionally. And Sarah found it strange that Cassandra claimed to know the exact sleeping pills that Brandon took. Sarah did not believe her because they weren't name brand, and her son always bought name brand things. Coincidentally, when the talk screen results came back, there was no meth found in Brandon's system. That's, uh, that's one more time for the cheap seats. Yeah. When the talk screen came back, there was no meth found in Brandon's system. No meth! No meth. So he's... High on meth. We didn't find any in the home. We didn't find any paraphernalia in the home. And now we don't find any in his fucking system. But that's still what happened. He was high on meth and beat himself the fuck up to death. Yep. Exactly. Okay, Dan. The talk screen was clean except for high levels of Benadryl, which was also the main ingredient in the sleeping pills that Cassandra was referring to. 
Cassandra tells Sarah that she's going to lie to the police so she doesn't have to go back in for questioning, which she does because she doesn't know how to do anything except for lie. Right. (sighs) Several times, Cassandra tells Sarah about dreams that she had where she described the crime scene going very, or giving very specific details that Sarah felt she'd only knew if she'd been there. A few days later, police are successful in getting Cassandra in for questioning, and she called Sarah afterwards and could not stop laughing. She told Sarah that she thought after questioning, is that it? Cassandra said that the female detective spent much of the interview bad-mouthing Brandon. Detective Suddeth had put in for a search warrant on Cassandra's phone. Early December, Sarah's husband finds an orange dead blow hammer at Brandon's apartment that looked to have bloody fingerprints on it and brings it to police. Detective Suddeth said that he feels confident that Cassandra is close to confessing and that he will call her the next day with the results of the phone search warrant. Detective Suddeth never contacts Sarah again. She and her husband called the police department to find out what Detective Suddeth would, or to find out that he was promoted to or promoted and transferred, and Detective Johnson would now be over Brandon's case. So he says he's about to get Cassandra to confess. He believes that this hammer has Could something be the to weapon. do with it. Yeah, sure. And then literally that day, it seems like he's promoted and transferred completely out. Right. And now we have the most incompetent person on the case. Mm-hmm. Totally over the case. The person who's convinced that he did all this to himself. Mm -hmm. Still. In January of 2020, Sarah knew that her son's case wasn't a priority to the police. So she did what any concerned parent would do. And she reached out to the media in hopes of finding more witnesses or information. The media turned to the police to ask more questions. And where, when they did that, they were told that Brandon's cause of death was pneumonia. Detective Johnson met with Sarah and advised her not to go to the media because it would hurt the case when it eventually went to trial. This clearly insinuated that the case was being investigated as something more than a natural death or drug overdose. Sarah reiterated her concerns about Cassandra's involvement, and she also told her that, according to a neighbor, Brandon was seen arguing with a man outside of his apartment on the last day that Sarah had heard from her son. Detective Johnson responded by telling Sarah that they found synthetic marijuana, an illegal substance in North Carolina, in Brandon's apartment. She said use of this caused Brandon to beat himself to death. Later, Sarah obtained a copy of the evidence log and there was no record of any drugs being found in the apartment. Again, Brandon tested negative for any illicit substances. And in a later meeting with investigators, Sarah learned that the officer that accompanied Detective Johnson to the autopsy, that the medical examiner's first question to the detective was, what are you looking for? See, that's what I'm saying. Like, they're going to lead the medical examiner. The medical examiner needs to... They need to have an answer for what happened. Like, well, yeah, but the medical examiner needs to do what they need to do. They need to run the test. They need to whatever. Oh, yeah, no. There's no reason that the the detective should be... And I know that sometimes they will get information like, you know, like if there's a murder weapon nearby, like, okay, bring that to the medical examiner if, if we think it's a murder weapon. Could this have been the weapon that inflicted these wounds or something like that? Okay, right. fine. Yeah, they might get, you know, evidence and, you know, some information what was nearby what were they, you know, condition they were found in and stuff like that, maybe. But what are you looking for? What do you want? What do you want me to say I'm finding here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What the hell? I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. In February of 2020, the medical examiner amended Brandon's autopsy from pneumonia to undetermined. And basically, as Sarah surmised, that they said that Brandon took an unknown substance that, although it cannot be proven or disproven, caused his death. On February 27th, 2020, Detective Johnson called Sarah in to meet with her and an SBI agent. They informed Sarah that they were closing Brandon's case and that there was not enough evidence to investigate it as a homicide. She brought up the high level of Benadryl found in her son's system and said that it was that the SBI agent replied that he could take a whole bottle of Benadryl and it wouldn't even hurt him. And with that, the investigation was over. I just I also read that um it was possible that what they found, it was not synthetic marijuana, but that they found what's called kratom, mm. which is not synthetic marijuana, and it's not kratom. illegal in North Carolina. Yeah. And, it, and Sarah said he wasn't even using the kratom. The package was more than a year old and full that he brought when he moved more than a year prior. It may have been two years old. Like... It's not illegal. I've used it. It's not illegal. Like, 
It's, you can get you it can, from any vape shop. Yeah, you can shop. get it at like a gas station or yeah, vape yeah. shop or um, CBD dispensaries or whatever. They sell Kratom. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not illegal and it's not the, like... It's not synthetic marijuana. It's not no. meth for sure. Exactly. And it certainly does not. I've heard absolutely no... St- like, people who are like... I guess it like helps with pain and stuff like that. But people who are on opiates will use Kratom sometimes as a way to get off of it, you know? Mm. So like, again, it's not something that you're going to have an absolute fit and beat yourself to death now, possibly with a hammer. No, no, no. And again, nothing was found in the system. Right. Strangely enough, Brandon had been hospitalized earlier in the year after becoming deathly ill. On February 18th, 2019, I'm going to say Guilford County EMS responded at 920 a.m. to the parking lot of the McDon- uh, a McDonald's. They found Brandon leaning against his vehicle and he had a sudden onset of abdominal pain and began vomiting. He complained of, sev- of a severe headache for the past seven hours. He had an altered mental status and was unable to complete simple tasks at the hospital, such as opening a door. Hospital staff reported bizarre behavior and memory loss. Eventually, Brandon went unresponsive and fell into respiratory, renal, circulatory, and neurological failure, among many other things. He had to be intubated and put on dialysis, which ultimately saved his life. His drug test was negative. When Brandon was discharged from the hospital and went back home, he wasn't able to find a spare key. After his death, Cassandra told Sarah that Brandon told her on Valentine's Day that he was going to die, that he wasn't going to be here very long. On April 24th, Brandon was seen again in the ER for symptoms associated with poisoning, however, not as severe as the prior time. On June 28th, he was seen at an urgent care with the same symptoms. Not long after, he messaged Sarah complaining of the same symptoms. With research, Sarah believes that Brandon was being poisoned, very likely with ethylene glycol, a.k.a. antifreeze. Brandon was never tested for possible poisoning. Could they not still do, like, in the independent autopsy, could they test for that? I would think so. Because, you know, it makes those crystals or whatever in their... Doesn't it? Doesn't it like make crystals in their bloodstream? You remember? I, I think so. I've heard about that in other cases. I can't, I'm, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But I would hope that you'd be able to still test for that. Well, but, yeah. and remember the day that the last time that Sarah talked to him, he had a horrible, horrible headache. Absolutely. I remember and that. every time he's been poisoned enough to make him sick, he's, he's got, got that really terrible headache. headache. Well, and I would think too, you could test your hair for possible poisoning. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sarah has been vocal about what she thinks happened to her son. She believes that he'd been poisoned throughout his relationship with Cassandra. She believes that he was ultimately poisoned with antifreeze and Benadryl based off the many gel tablets found on the floor of his apartment that appeared to have had the gel squeezed out of them, then physically and possibly sexually assaulted. She believes that the motive could have been money. She found a second debit card linked to Brandon's account in his truck and two more arrived in the mail shortly after his death. Mm-mm-hmm. The bank put a hold on all of Brandon's funds. At almost the same time, Cassandra texted Sarah saying, it's been a hellish day. Someone got my banking info and spent so much money of mine. On the same day that now she can't access Brandon's funds anymore. Absolutely, yeah. I have no money. Oh my gosh. She had previously told Sarah that she and Brandon had planned to open a bank account together, but Sarah did not believe this. Now, Mm-mm. keep in mind, Brandon talks to his mom often and his sister, and he's never even told them her name. No, he just said, and he and what he did say about her was, I met a girl. I don't think it's going to work out, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's not opening a bank account with her. Mm-mm. In addition, by speaking with a former boyfriend of Cassandra and friends who knew her, she has a history of bizarre behavior, physical abuse, and violence. There is an enormous list of the things they reported her having done, and here are just a few. She took, so this is the ex-boyfriend, she took his last name and told people that they were married when they weren't. She would take his paychecks to the bank, forge his signature, and cash his checks. Would she forge a signature on a debit card receipt? I think so. Absolutely. She told his friends that he was physically abusive when, in fact, she was. She once punched him in the chest and caused one of his lungs to collapse. And do we remember who else had lung damage? Hmm. She told him she was pregnant, but that the baby died, but that she was also married to a cop and had children with him. And when she said she was pregnant, she'd wear a prosthetic or a pillow. (laughs) What the fuck? 
She gave him a vitamin water that had already been opened at one point, and after drinking it, he became very sick. At a barbecue, she cooked his food for him, and he got really sick and ended up in the ER, but nobody else was sick. And this happened several times when she cooked for him. He woke up to her choking him as she one time pulled a loaded gun and held it to his head. She would often text people pretending to be him, including his boss. Her family had called police on her due to her violent outbursts and threats. She sounds like a straight up nightmare. Yeah. Definitely check out, again, we're going to link to it. Definitely check out the Facebook page because there are so many other things, you guys, that like do not fit but are very important, like a footprint in blood that the police didn't take, like all these things. So definitely Mm -hmm. check it out. On May 20th, 2020, Brandon's sister received a Facebook audio call. She was asleep and didn't answer, but a message was sent right after that that said, I killed your brother. Sarah emailed Detective Johnson, who never replied. She also called the sheriff's office to report it, and a deputy came out and took the report. The deputy called Cassandra and informed her that Sarah and her daughter were filing a report against her. Shortly after, the deputy informed Sarah that the complaint was unfounded and the report was closed. On August 2nd, 2020, Sarah and her husband went to the Asheboro Police Department to speak with the detectives, and this is how she recounted their visit on her Facebook page. We go to Asheboro Police Department because we still have unanswered questions and do not feel there was even enough of an attempt to find out what happened to Brandon and how and why he was beaten to death. Justice was not pursued by Asheboro Police Department for the victim of a murder. Instead, he was blamed for his own death. Accused of doing drugs he did not do by their detective. Captain Thompson insists they must hinge the investigation on the autopsy, which contradicts Detective Suddeth telling us his investigation is still independent of an autopsy. Evidence was falsified to cover up his death and sweep it under the rug. I verbally report to Captain Thompson, my husband and Lieutenant Wagner present, that his detective has falsified evidence, intentionally made a false statement, on a death investigation autopsy and destroyed evidence on a case that was closed under her own false pretenses. As of now, Brandon's case remains closed. However, Sarah Lee continues to work tirelessly to get the story out and fight for her son. So again, please visit her Facebook page titled Brandon's Voice, The Murder and Cover-Up of Brandon Embry. She shows ways that you can help. And there is so much more to this case that Sarah covers on that page. Like we said, please check it out. I mean, literally, there's not enough time to go through all of it here. And if you have any information about the mysterious death of Brandon Embry, please contact his mother, Sarah Lee, not the police department. And again, the GoFundMe, which is raising money for an independent autopsy, is Justice for Brandon Embry, organized by Sarah Lee. And we've linked to that under here as well. Yes. Ugh. We are so interested to know what you guys think about the case. I mean, we definitely think that Cassandra is behind it. Mm -hmm. I think that that, I mean, she at the very, very least knows a lot about it. Well, and here's the thing. If like Detective Suddeth was so close to getting, he he was confident that he was going to get her to confess. Yes. And what's going to happen? I mean, mark my words, Cassandra is going to kill somebody else. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised, honestly, that I would not be surprised if there was another victim that she has had. Yeah, already. Yeah. I mean, she's tried to murder previous boyfriends, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she is, I mean, you know, take this for what it is. She's batshit crazy. Like, she's crazier than a shithouse rat. She is. She really is. There's there's a lot wrong with her. Not one thing she's ever said about her life or history can be corroborated. It's all just made up. And she's dangerous. Yes, she's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So let us know what you guys think, but thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Oh my God, you guys, you know what time it is. We have some new shout outs. Well, well shout outs for our new patrons. Yay. Yay. Hey girl, thanks to Leandra Ventura, Tristan Schlack, Cassiopeia, Swindle, Andy P, Sarah Cambrick, Ashley Lanes, Jamie Hunt, Ashley Windham, Diane Garcia, Megan Fontaine, Lizzie Holdsworth, Mahogany, Victoria Nicholas, Grace, Rebecca Tipton, 
and Jess McMaster. Oh my God, you guys. Seriously, we could not do this without you. Love you to the moon. If you want your own shout out, be sure to join the Patreon at $10 or higher. Plus you get a bunch of cool free shit like episodes and stuff. (laughs) Yes. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.